Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Butter wars, supermarkets drop prices, meaning good news for consumers, but anger amongst farmers. If input prices are coming down, well then they now need to reduce the prices that they pay to consu- that they charge consumers. I'm very clear about that, and we are going to be monitoring it. Donald is back. Former US President Donald Trump arrives in Clare for a trip to his Dunebeg golf resort. Uh, the people of Ireland have been great, and we have a tremendous success. And later, should 16-year-olds be able to drive on Irish roads? We debate the pros and cons. Do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, the MTV. We begin tonight with that incident at the Kremlin in Moscow. The footage that you are about to see is what Russia says was a Ukrainian attack and an assassination attempt against President Vladimir Putin. They they say that two drones were used and were shot down by their air defences. Ukraine has denied it has anything to do with them. Here's Vladimir Zelensky. We don't attack Putin or Moscow, uh, we fight on, on our territory. We are defending our villages and cities. We don't have, you know, enough weapon for this. Well, let's take you live to Kyiv in Ukraine, where Shelby Wilder is there. Shelby, thank you for joining us this evening. We heard there President Zelensky denying responsibility for this drone attack, this attempted assassination on Vladimir Putin. But Russia is saying that they're standing by their story. What is the international community making of all this? Who do they believe? Well, we're still in the fog of war. As you mentioned, Ukraine has vehemently denied any involvement in this drone strike. But we know that the Kremlin has called this a terrorist attack. And they said that it now justifies retaliation for this incident. And the latest we heard from Russia is that they are now opening a terrorism probe because of this drone strike. But again, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, said today in Finland that uh, Ukraine does not, quote, attack Putin or Moscow, end quote. But earlier today, I was listening to some commentary and they were saying... An assassination attempt is highly unlikely. I mean, the Ukrainians would be well aware that Vladimir Putin spends very, very little time in the Kremlin. The chances of him being there were negligible. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, in regards to experts weighing in on this, they have said that technically drones uh, launched from Ukraine could reach Moscow. It's approximately 450 kilometers from the Ukrainian border. But whether we actually believe that two drones managed to make it past 
all of Russia's air defenses and happened to explode precisely over the Kremlin while Putin was not there is another discussion entirely. Now, there's a lot of, uh, you know, theories going around to this. Was it a false flag attack carried out um, by Russia? You know, has this uh, been launched by Ukraine? The U.S. right now says that they uh, are skeptical of that. But ultimately, only time is going to tell uh, as this investigation unfolds and we learn more about uh, who is actually behind this incident. Yeah, Russia, as you say, they're promising retaliation do we have any idea what form that retaliation could take at this point? Well, that's really the daunting question for us here. I mean, tonight, the U.S. embassy in Ukraine has just warned civilians of an increased threat of missile strikes by Russia. You know, Kyiv has come under attack three times within the last six days. Now, those were failed attempts by Russia because Ukraine's air defense managed to shoot down all incoming air targets. But uh, missiles and drones did hit other parts of Ukraine in the course of the last week and killed um, civilians. And just here in Kyiv today, we've had air raid sirens call out three separate times, uh, lasting for numerous hours with civilians being told to seek shelter. This morning, you know, overnight, Russia launched 26 Iranian-made Shahed drones on Ukraine. And this is all separate from Russia shelling the city of Kherson in the southeast of Ukraine throughout today, which so far we know 21 civilians have been killed, 48 are wounded. One of those strikes was on a supermarket, which has now led to uh, calls for investigations of war crimes because of that strike. So, you know, it's a very uh, tense evening here in Kyiv, and we're really anticipating Ukraine launching its spring counteroffensive, which we believe could happen at any time now. But as we know, you know, Ukrainians are incredibly resilient, and they're going to carry on despite these increased threats coming from Russia. All right, uh, Shelby Wilder, live in Kyiv. Thank you for speaking to us this evening. Well, now to something very different back home and some good news for anyone who has been pushing a trolley around a supermarket recently, seeing their bills get higher and higher. Today, four supermarkets cut the price of butter by 40 cents. A similar move happened with milk over the weekend. Tisha Leo Radker was asked about this in the dial. Uh, retailers, other businesses, increased prices when input prices went up. That's understandable. If in input prices are coming down, well, then they now need to re reduce the prices that they, paid to that they charge consumers. I'm very clear about that, and we are going to be monitoring it. Well, let's bring in our panel now. I'm joined by Fianna Fáil TD, Paul McAuliffe, Independent TD, Michael Healy-Ray, and consumer journalist Sinead Ryan, and I'm also joined on Skype by Kelly Ging from Kelly Luke Cakes in Portlaoise. You're all very welcome to the programme. Ashley, I'm very conscious as somebody who walks around a supermarket on a regular basis uh, doing a food shopping and watching those bills go up and up and up that 40 cents on a packet of butter is perhaps not this great consumer story um, that people are talking about, but it's maybe a step in the right direction, is it? Look, I've mixed views on this kind of thing. Price wars are seem very welcome for consumers and we'll take what we can get. But really, it's a little bit of a gimmick. I mean, if you were to buy a pound of butter a week and four litres of milk, you'd be saving like 50 cent on your average weekly shop, which is 140 euros for a family of four. I mean, you know, nobody is, nobody's kind of budget is going to be uh, tremendously better off because of this. Uh, it, 
It is reflective of the fact, though, that food inflation remains at about 16%. That's double core inflation. And for products we make in Ireland predominantly, I mean, we are the dairy industry. It really doesn't make sense. It's even with this reduction, it's still well over a euro and a euro 20 uh, more expensive than it was last year for butter. OK, let's talk about how this played out because it started last Friday with one of the big mm. discount stores announcing this cut in milk and then the others followed suit and again today with butter. Yeah, they're like lemmings and there is a lot of price watching that goes on between supermarkets. I mean, a lot of them advertise it. They'll have a big poster up saying we price match with whatever supermarket is the one down the road uh, and they do have scouts that go in and out secret shoppers and they go in they check what what are called the kvis the known value items the staples the bread the butter the milk uh, nappies all that kind of stuff and they and they report back and say this is what so and so is charging for it so there's a lot of that that goes on anyway what they don't want you doing of course is just shopping in those in that shop for those things which have a lower profit and then running elsewhere to do the rest of your shop and let's face it here most of us don't have time to do that uh, so this kind of stuff is a little bit nonsensical. I, I'm not buying it really, uh, to be honest with you, and I don't think it'll make a huge difference. Okay. So why did they do it, do you think? Why now and why pick these two products? Because they cannot justify the inflation that has been charged. They are blaming transport, Ukraine, uh, VAT, higher wages, energy costs, whatever you like. Pick your, pick your current range of crises. Uh, but they cannot really justify it for products that are not imported for the most part. Uh, and, and that's certainly dairy products. So it's an easy win. Milk is the staple, you know, politicians get asked all the time how much to is see the, if they're on the ground, yeah, you know, how much is the cost of milk. milk. And, you know, it, it reads well. Look at all the coverage they've got. I mean, imagine what they've saved on the ads that they haven't had to take out just by, by dropping a couple of cent off uh, a staple product. Yeah, one of the big questions, I suppose now, Michael, is who absorbs the cost of this? And we saw one of the big farm dairy groups, the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association, they said this needs to be entirely funded, this cut, within the supermarket's own margins. Don't pass this on to the farmer. Do you agree? Well, please don't think for one minute that the big supermarkets who are engaging in this price war, please don't think that they're doing any favours for their customers because they're not. All they're doing is using this, as you rightly say, it's like a free play for what are we doing now? We're talking about them. You mentioned their names. They're delighted with that. I won't mention their names because I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of it. Because the person I don't think I, I did mention their names, actually, the Michael. Person, <laughs> the person I'll start off with is the farmer. And this day last year, for example, in April last year, the farmer was getting 53 cents, we'll say, a litre for his milk. Today, flat rate is 40 cents a litre. If it would be a bit of higher butter fat, you might get 45, 46, 47 cents. So you have to start off with what's real in reality. And you have to understand that our farmers in Ireland, whether we're talking about milk, whether we're talking about beef or lamb or poultry or our pig production people, they have to make a profit. They're in so you're saying here that the supermarkets should absorb these price yes. cuts. Don't if pass it on to the farmers. If they're so smart and if they want to start a price war, no problem in the world but pay for it themselves and take the hit themselves. But don't be going with their cap in their hand to the farmer and saying, right, well, price of milk, now we're after bringing it down in a price war that we are having what I'd call a phony price war. 
don't go to the farmers hitting them and knocking their price because they can't afford to be lo losing money because they're not making enormous amounts of money. Well, and I, that don't, is well I don't know now if dairy farmers in this country aren't making an enormous no, no, amount no. of money, well, well, to be I, honest. Well, the well, highest put, prices ever paid well, for I, milk were paid in this it, country last year. It, yes, but didn't I already tell you that? And didn't I tell you that the prices are down now? And you have to look at the reality. Their costs are gone up and their price has gone down. So you can't be boasting that they're making a lot of money because I know what they're doing, Kira. They're struggling to survive because to be there okay, at all today, you... they're after investing an awful lot of money in milking parlours. They're after investing in land reclamation and trying to acquire more land. They're, all they're doing is trying to do their best and survive. All right, and but they in deserve your... to be supported. You, you have a shop so you yes. do, um, in, in uh, your hometown in Kilgarvan. Are you able to cut the price of your buttermilk now? Well, all I can tell you is the margins that I'm with the Mace Group and all we can do is go on whatever margins they're supplying it and that's a very straightforward thing. We're talking here about the big people who are involved in big all price right. wars. So you're and saying like you say, wouldn't be able to absorb this uh, price cut in your margins, well, but the bigger supermarkets I'd, can. I'd say small shops like us, if we had to do what they're doing, we'd be selling at a loss. And like at the end of the day, I've said this in numerous times because it's come up in conversation, people have to make a profit. If you're employing people, if you're involved, and the same as the farmer, he has to make a profit as well because people have to pay their bills. All right. Um, should prices in of groceries across the board be falling more, do you think? Yeah, look, there'll be a run on butter in Kilgarvan in the, in the morning, Michael. Well, look, no, I don't know if the prices are going down, to be honest. Well, you might have to go to one of the big supermarkets. Pe people shop for lots of reasons, and convenience is one of them, and supporting their their their, their, lo their local suppliers. Like, I think Sinead is spot on here. Uh, this is about one particular attempt by one supermarket, followed by others, uh, to try and catch the attention of the market. Like, tomorrow... We're facing an interest rate increase. There'll be many people who would need a lot of a lot a lot of uh, bars of butter to yeah, make but up to for fair, the increase. That 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 what's welcome though is is to be fair. The Taoiseach said today, input costs are falling, energy yeah. costs are falling. These prices should be passed on. They yeah, absolutely consumers. should be passed on, and the government has said that they're going to keep an eye on that. I think the retail council has been brought on under. What does that mean? Keep an eye on it. Well, it's it, it, it's as he says. Uh, we have to we have to look at the market and see if they're responding uh, to the uh, to the reductions. What we need to be really careful of is this is a small drop in the overall costs that people have. Both energy and mortgage costs are having a massive impact. Yeah, on I know, the, but I just on, want to on say people. on this issue, I'm wondering who should absorb the cost here. If you're saying yes, there should be cuts, there have been savings made. Do the supermarkets absorb them? Or do they pass it on to the farmers? Well, I think there has to be drops. In it. Like what this signals is, is that uh, I think uh, an end to the price increases, and we've seen massive increases, as Sinead said, over over the last year. Um, so who so, absorbs the cuts? Well, uh, ultimately, if the, if it's been done for a consumerist or from advertising perspective, the supermarket should do that. That should not be the producer. The people uh, that pick the fight yeah, should pay for the fight. Absolutely, but 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 also the input costs will hopefully reduce over the next year. Now people have hedged uh, borrowing and so on. But so we, we've to let the market respond, okay? And I don't believe that this is the full response of the market. I'm just conscious that Sinn Féin uh, said today when it came to the government, when it came to energy price cuts, that you're more of a commentator. You're sitting on the sidelines watching these companies not actually able to do much about them. Is that actually the truth well, here? Well, no, absolutely not. And we saw when Sinn Féin tried to prescribe a, a fixed price to, uh, to, to the energy market, copying the Tory model, which Liz Truss had proposed, uh, which sent the British economy into, into freefall because the markets didn't believe that that was going to be possible and it would write a black blank checks. What we did was far, far better. This week alone, 1.3 million people 
got additional payments. We've made changes to taxation to, to support All right, people. OK, we're just, we're just going to stick to the issue of groceries. But, 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 but see, groceries are the one of the prices. costs that, pe that, that people have. What we've done is, is, yes, we've supported people with extra payments, but we've also reduced uh, costs at the state charge, so inpatient charges. OK, we, OK, OK. okay. No, we're, no, we're here to talk they're about grocery yes, prices and whether or not they're they they not. Away with that. They all end up in no, the basket, though. They all end up in the basket. You well, put up you the cost of living in the first instance with carbon taxes and with everything else. And he put up the price of energy. He did everything he could to drive up the cost. And now Michael, we are boasting, you, you we are boasting now about costs. giving a couple of hundred euros no, to people Michael, you know at a time when he increased, increased the cost, cost of energy. Living. did not come from a government policy. It came from, he, inter, from an international response to the war in Ukraine. He, that is, he, that he, is the truth. You, do you know you would blame the weather on the Ukraine at this stage? <laughs> Top facts right. here. He did an awful lot of harm to the consumers of Ireland because he put up the cost of everything in the first instance. All right. I know you're boasting about trying to hate. Which isn't true, Michael. What's the outlook for the other items in your okay. basket? Well, I wouldn't. Uh, you'd, would, if you eat enough of the discounted butter now, you'll end up in a hospital trolley. So you, you can get your savings back then, maybe. Um, what is it going to mean for the rest of the products? I, I, it won't mean anything, uh, to be honest, Kira. I don't think. You are not going to see a wholesale drop in prices. No supermarket is going to come out and say, from tomorrow, everything that was priced at whatever was today is going to be 10% less tomorrow. So That's you do think a lot of that 16% food inflation is embedded at this point? Totally embedded. And what's more, we're prepared to pay it. So, like, look, it makes me laugh coming down the price of butter. There are hard-pressed families out there. They haven't eaten butter in ages. They can't afford 3 99 $2.99, $4.99, whatever it is. They are buying discounted spreads, never mind butter. It, like, this idea that who's going to absorb the cost there's be no, the consumer will. There's no need to. All you have to do is put the two cent over here and the three cent over there and the five cent over there. There's no... It, the supermarkets are in this game a long time. All right, well, let's listen to what Jed Nash from Labour had to say about this particular issue in the Dáil today. We know that last weekend, the major supermarket multiples, uh, almost in a synchronised fashion, uh, reduced the price of milk literally overnight on the same day by practically the same amount. And I'm deeply suspicious uh, as to how and why uh, that happened. Uh, Tisha, I will call on you to engage the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission and enable them to carry out an investigation on price gouging and competition in the retail grocery sector in this country. Paul McAuliffe, your response to that? I don't disagree with Jed, and I think the Taoiseach echoed that, that the government are going to, uh, to watch it. There is a role for the consumer uh, watchdog and the competition authority to what ensure... What is it actually able to do? I mean, can it compel these supermarkets to come in and reveal what their profits are and what their price margins are? Well, I think what, what it can do is investigate if there's uh, orchestrated cartel-like activity in, in, in the market uh, and if there's a coordination in, in price fixing. Uh, and the competition authority is there to do that and it should be allowed to do, do its role. All right, um, Sinead, what did you make of Jed Nash's comments? I mean, does the Consumer Protection they, Authority have any ability to do anything? Not really. Have the teeth? I mean, they can pull these guys in in front of an Oxus committee. He worked in the insurance market where price walking was happening in car insurance, but my God, it took an awful long time. Mm -hmm. Years you're talking about. So I don't think so. You're not going to get the likes of Tesco's or Lidl or Aldi or any of them revealing A, how much profit they make in Ireland and B, what percentage it is of their overall profits. All this money goes to back to their, their uh, European conglomerates. And, and to be perfectly honest, I think it's a fool's errand to even try. OK, and, I just want to bring in Kelly. I just want to bring in uh, Kelly Ginks. I know she's been standing by. Kelly, I've had your cakes in uh, a previous <laughs> life. I know they're full of milk and butter. So you, oh. as a, a supplier, will welcome, I suppose, uh, any sort of a cut today. But given your energy bills, let's say, does it make any huge difference to your business? 
like it's I suppose today like the 40 cent that's it is incre- decreasing our bill by about 70 euro um a week but that's just butter alone um I think the supermarkets are just making a lot of noise and it's hiding all the other increases um that we've incurred across ingredients and electricity um everything has gone up like <laughs> this is the first thing to kind of come down um but for how long like we can't guarantee is that going to be back up in two weeks time um yeah there's just a lot of noise and it's kind of hiding the rest of the stuff going on all the other increases in the background what about your energy bills what changes have you seen there have they come down in any way uh, kelly They've come down very slightly and we do welcome the government extending the energy support scheme. Um, I suppose what we're doing is we're really, really monitoring it very closely and we're taking out very short contracts, so six-month contracts for companies so that we can price around and try to get the best price that we can um, because it it obviously has gone up hugely um, in the last couple of months. I just want to put this back to the panel because we've seen, Michael Hillary, that wholesale prices have reduced yeah. substantially for four months. But Kelly's saying, look, the reduction she's seen is, is minimal. It's hard to imagine suppliers can maintain these sky-high prices for much longer. Yes, well, what we'd all desperately want to see is the cost of everything coming back down. And it would start dramatically with energy. And people say that, oh, energy has come down. My God, it has to go down an awful lot more before it will be back to where it was, whether that's for householders or whether it's for business. And that has a knock-on effect on everything. The same with the fuel. It might have come down, but it has an awful long way to go back to where it was before. But just about what is happening in the last couple of days with these two items, don't forget, it wasn't that many years ago that some of these same supermarkets, they did the same thing with fruit and veg. And it had an awful distorting effect on the Irish market at the time. And it was very harmful. It might look good and grand right now, but doing that type of headline grabbing, it's only a sensational act by these people. And it's working because what are we doing here tonight? It's giving this uh, sense to people, oh yes, these supermarkets, they have a deal, they have an offer, and that's where people should be going. I don't know Not if we have achieved that, yes. well, well, to be well, honest, given well, the conversation well, well, we've had well, for the last well, 15 minutes. Yes. Well, I'd be hoping that we might knock a hole in it All and right. show it up for what it is. Very but, quickly, but, but, Keira, like Kelly talks like. about everything going up, and, and that, that is in many cases true. But the things that the government has direct control of have actually all come down and very substantially come down. OK, but uh, the energy companies at this stage failing to pass on the huge savings they're making. Yeah, the I, I agree with that, but I come, back, I, come back that? To, I come back to the point of the things that the government have direct control of. Okay. School transport, school books, so childcare fees, The government don't inpatient. have any input but, here, Sinead, the government have, To be fair, here, here, on two occasions I wanted to talk about th- those issues. They're having a real impact. They're saving families money every day. Okay. For the first time for the first time in the States, there's going to be free school books uh, for, right. for every okay. for, 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 for child of primary school. They all contribute to the cost of living. And in fairness, there is a family piece around this where families aren't sitting at home pulling out one thing or another thing. It's that overall, how holistically they feel about the money coming into their purse and out of their purse. Um, there is very little direct control government can have because we've set up government in this country to not have control over private business. We are a very open economy. That's why we are doing as well as we are from a corporate point of view. Uh, and so the no. CRU doesn't have 
the ability here to the regulate CCPC. prices. The CCPC. No, or the, the CRU, CRU for, for the energy. No, not at all. And, and at the end of the day, they, they deregulate the market and then say, off oh, you go and do, it, do whatever you can. And, and that's the way we've set it up. And that's the way we seem to want things. You can't really have it both ways in that way and, and, and uh, directly control private companies because you'd have a whole other set of problems if you did that. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. But my thanks to Sinead Ryan for coming into us this evening and to Kelly King. Well, up next, Trump is back in town. We're going to be going live to Dunbeg and County Clare to hear what the locals think about the former president. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, this evening, former U.S. President Donald Trump landed in Ireland as part of a whistle-stop tour to his golf resort in County Clare. He arrived in Shannon a few hours ago and headed up the road, full convoy, in tow. So you can see the pictures there, to the Dunbeg Resort. Well, Virgin Media News correspondent Zara King is at Dunbeg for us this evening. Good evening to you, Zara. We saw Trump Force One landing at Shannon. We saw the convoy there making its way up to the hotel. Was there any sort of reception, any fanfare this time? There was definitely a small reception, I would say, Kira, outside the hotel. A lot of the golfers had gathered and were watching on. And there was also a group of Irish dancers from the uh, John Fennell Hell for Leather School of Dancing based in West Clare. They were fantastic. We saw them uh, rehearsing in the car park before he got here and they put on a great performance uh, for the former president. So there was a small bit of fanfare. A couple of the locals that had been invited up this evening, they were also there to uh, welcome Donald Trump. But uh, I wouldn't say it was a major event in terms of comparing it to his visit four years ago in 2019. I was here for that at the time as well. Um, really, it just was sort of a low-key uh, welcome for the US president as he arrived here. Um, part of that, I suppose, is that he came at quarter past eight. He was due to arrive at six o'clock, so there was some delay in terms of the schedule. We had been talking earlier on the news at 5.30 and 7 about the fact that uh, he had been due to meet with the local coastal erosion group and that meeting it didn't really happen. They did get one or two minutes with him, I think, to make a presentation and have a brief conversation. I know you're going to speak to uh, Rita McInerney in a moment. She'll give you probably more details on that. But uh, in terms of the meeting and the sort of in-depth conversation they were hoping to have, uh, the time just wasn't there to do that. Um, we did get a chance to catch Donald Trump as he was coming through the bar uh, to ask a quick question this evening. Uh, it was very brief, but we can take a listen to it now. Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, why are you here instead of in New York for your civil case, please? Because we have a uh, long-standing agreement to come here. We've had a tremendous uh, reception, a beautiful reception. Uh, the people of Ireland have been great. 
And we have a tremendous success, and I hear we're doing very but well. But does it not show the disrespect to the course? Now, you might remind people at home, Zara, of the background to that comment, because there is a, a civil trial ongoing in New York that Trump, obviously, by being here, isn't attending. Yes, Kira. this is in relation to an allegation of rape which took place uh, 30 years ago in uh, 1996 and uh, Donald Trump strongly denies those allegations. That is a civil case, a lawsuit taking place in Manhattan. He said that the reason he couldn't attend that is because he did have a long-standing commitment uh, to be here in Doombeg to inspect the property. I suppose in terms of um, the local interest here, Kira, you know, much has been made of the fact that uh, locals are very supportive of Donald Trump. They're very clear in saying, though, that their relationship with Donald Trump is very much one of a business relationship. Uh, Locally here, he's known as the West Clare Hotelier and uh, locals here find themselves separating the politics uh, from the individual himself. He did get a warm welcome from those individuals. I suppose people reminding us that he is a major employer in this area with 300 uh, jobs roughly in a village that has a population of around 1,000 people. So uh, it's clear that there is a huge amount of support here for him. So he's uh, been having dinner here this evening. He was having dinner in the bar and restaurant uh, up at the resort. Our cameras weren't allowed inside for that. Uh, but we were allowed to be inside and, and he sort of going around his business, uh, say, meeting and chatting to some of the staff here, uh, inspecting his property. We understand that he's going to play a round of golf tomorrow before heading back to the United States tomorrow evening. Yeah, what does that mean, Zara, inspecting his property? Surely he has people to do yeah. that for him. I mean, what is the real purpose yeah. of this visit, do you think? I, I wish I knew the details of that here, I'll be honest. I don't really know what that means myself. I mean, he was obviously at his property in Scotland before he got here. I suppose he's inspecting his investment. I mean, we've seen reports in the papers about the fact that uh, the property has been making losses since 2014 in the region of 16 million euros. So uh, perhaps he is coming to inspect what's happening there. But he was very clear, you heard in the clip there, where he said that he felt that the property was doing really well. We know that they have future plans to develop this property further. Uh, they're hoping to build a conference centre, uh, among many other things, perhaps a leisure centre as well. So um, I'm not sure exactly what the inspection process entails, but uh, like I say, he was only here for less than an hour this evening and he was already saying that he was really happy with how things were going here. All right, Sarah King, thank you uh, for that update. I want to bring in Rita McInerney, uh, a businesswoman from Doonbeg. Uh, Rita, you're very welcome to the programme. The visit, of course, putting renewed scrutiny on the relationship between Doonbeg and Donald Trump once again. He is the area's biggest employer, do you welcome him? Well, we certainly have worked very well with the Trump organisation and uh, they have been here since 2014. So I suppose it was expected that Donald Trump would make a visit at some stage um, after his presidency had ended. And I suppose, uh, you know, his son, Eric Trump, is a regular visitor and is the one, I suppose, that really keeps an eye on everything here. Uh, they do have plans for further development, but obviously as a local community, our main concern is with the coastal erosion that has happened on Duckmore Beach. Uh, there are a number of property owners and uh, landowners and houses adjacent to the property and adjacent to the dunes in Duckmore. And I suppose he is the primary um, uh, owner of a property there. And did you get to uh, speak to him, Rita, this evening and address those concerns and what was his response? No, we didn't get to address, we didn't have to address a formal meeting this evening. Um, it was planned, but uh, the timescale didn't allow for us this evening. But I suppose it's important that that that, that message is uh, there. And, and I believe, you know, they have 
you know, they've consulted with the local community and uh, are very much aware of it. And as, as long as that message is portrayed that we're continuing to support the need for coastal protection uh, in the area, uh, that's the most important thing. There was a, a brief presentation of an image of the dunes in Duckmore um, to him. And uh, that, I suppose, highlights the beauty that is of, of the, the Duckmore Beach and the importance of keeping it all right. as an immunity for all. Uh, Rita, I suppose a lot of people will understand the benefits of having Dunebeg there, the fact that it is a big employer in this uh, area. But from a moral perspective, do people have any issue with Donald Trump? I think everybody's view, it's the same as in the US, it's the same as, as around the country. Uh, there's very differing political views on Donald Trump and his past presidency and his, if he goes for, for uh, a, a candidate for re-election. Everyone here in Dubai is the same as every other community or every other country. We, we, we discuss it and we have varying views around that. We have to set aside that because we, as a community, looked for for a, a project of this type to be developed back in the 90s. We have worked with all of the property owners that have, have come there and we, as long as they honour the, the commitment that, that we looked for in relation to working with the local community and the Trump Organisation have continued to honour that commitment, so we continue to work with them. So happy to overlook some aspects of perhaps his politics or his personal life? Well, I wouldn't say overlook. I think people, you know, local people in Dunbeg, they're just as savvy as, as, anywhere, as anywhere else. Um, we understand the politics of it and, and we discuss it and we have our own opinions. But uh, we, we would actually work with the Trump organisation from a business perspective and for the benefit of the resort and of West Clare. All right, we'll leave it there. Rita, thank you uh, for speaking to us. I want to go to you, Michael Healy-Ray. I mean, would you welcome Trump investment, Trump Towers, Trump Hotel in Kerry? Any person that wants to come from any part of the world and invest and create work and create jobs, I think that's welcome. Christmas Day, 1988, my late mother gave me a pre present that morning, a small little book, and I opened the book, and it was the act of the deal. And she said, read it, and we'll talk about it later on. That evening, she said to me, what did you think? And I said, who is he? I said, like, I had never heard of Trump in my life. And she said, you watch out for him. She said, I might not be here, but he could finish up running the world yet. Now, many people, when I told them that story, they asked me, did, did she actually say finish up ruining the world? And she didn't. She said ruling the world. So, so has he been a bit of an inspiration to you well, then, I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that my mother could see wrong corners and she saw something in Trump that I actually think he didn't see in himself because in 1988 he had no interest in the world in politics. You could know that from reading and following him then from, from that time on. But I just thought it was an interesting thing going back all those years ago. Uh, Paul, I'm interested in, in your take on this because I did see John O'Brennan, he's, um, I think, a political professor in Maynooth, um, tweeting about this today. And what essentially he said was sort of shame on the area for supporting this ogre was a phrase that uh, he used. Lots of people would disagree with him, I'm sure. What's your take? Well, it's interesting that I think Rita and Zara both pointed out that there's a difference between running a successful hotel and having fairly unacceptable views in politics and the way of prosecuting politics. Like, I think you only have to contrast the visit of President Biden only a couple of weeks ago um, to the reception that President Trump, it's his second time here, 
there are no crowds of uh, squares of, of crowded people and uh, there's no uh, people lining up to be uh, uh, former President Trump and I think that's the way because of the way he has prosecuted politics I've no So we just sort of ignore the politics because he's here and he's good for business? N not at all not at all look if somebody wants to invest and run a business you know there's nobody going to stop them doing that people vote with their feet if they don't want to uh, stay at the hotel they don't They don't stay at the hotel but Is I, there I, unfair criticism do you think sometimes of the people of Dunbeg because uh, you know, as somebody who's from areas of rural Ireland, I know how important it is yeah, for an employer to come in and bring 300 and it, it jobs to with be, them. It doesn't have to be rural Ireland. I represent places like Fingus and Ballymun where really grad when companies come in uh, uh, like, like Ikea and so on that, and open, open, uh, open investment in our community. But that's a very, very, very different thing uh, than operating in the way that President Trump did when he was, when he was running the world, Michael. And, and I, I think, to be honest, people have made up their mind on President Trump and you can see that in the reception, which he, which he hasn't got. All right, OK, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Paul and Michael are going to be staying with me. After the break, we're going to be discussing whether 16-year-olds should be allowed to drive a car. Very welcome back. Well, should 16-year-olds be allowed to drive on our roads? It's a question that has come up following European Union plans to allow teenagers to drive any car that has been adapted with a speed-limiting device set at 45 kilometres per hour. Well, to debate this, Paul McAuliffe and Michael Healy-Ray are still with me, and I'm also joined by Shane O'Donoghue from carcompare.ie. Shane, what do you think of this idea? I think it's an absolutely terrible idea. It's very simple. I think road safety, we have enough issues with road safety and we're not quite at a stage where I'd like to, Ireland to be. I think just this is just add another layer where we have to deal with younger drivers again and the whole training of them and monitoring of them, etc. I think it'll put more onus on the Gardaí where they're already stretched. Overall, I think it's a really bad idea. You think there's actually a danger here, a safety concern here? Oh, massively so. I think for that, the driver, that, for pedestrians, for whom? Well, both. I, my primary concern would actually be vulnerable road users. To be honest, um, I think vehicles these days are, you know, quite safe, quite strong. The speeds they're talking about are 45 kilometres an hour. is quite slow, I guess. And most vehicles, you know, you probably wouldn't be too injured if you had a crash at that speed. But other other road users, so cyclists, pedestrians, uh, horse riders, etc. I'd be very worried about them. Michael Healy Ray, you're in favour of it. Why do you think a 16-year-old should be able to drive a car? But sure, if we were to listen to that, you'd get the impression that young people aren't allowed to drive on our roads at present. Of course they are. They're allowed to drive work vehicles at 16 years of age. They can draw silage. They can spread slurry. They can do all farm work. And we're very glad that they are doing that because they're playing a very important role in our in Irish society by doing that work because it's very hard to get people to do that work. And they work very hard. And I thank those young people that are on our roads. They're driving, that's bike, for... they're driving tractors. They're doing work. They're playing a vital role. You're ignoring that. And you're giving the impression then that it's safe for a 16-year-old to drive a tractor, but it's not safe for them to drive a car at the same speed. Because the law states at present, a young person of 16 can drive that vehicle, a work vehicle, a any tractor. work vehicle, yes, at 40 kilometres an hour. And all this is saying is that they should drive a car. And, uh, could, could you please explain to me what is the difference? Your okay. argument doesn't stand up to one iota. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it would be good for rural Ireland in particular if young people could be allowed to drive on our roads at 16. But I'm also saying... And I've always said this for the last 10 years. My son, Jackie, on Kerry County Council is continuously saying it, that in first and second and third year of secondary schools, they should be taught 
the rules of the road, the safety aspects of a car. There should be a car in every school and it should be shown to the people and they should, they should be uh, continuously going through that work and educated in being kind and courteous in our roads. And then when they do their leaving cert, okay. they should come out the gate well, of the school Michael, with a full driver's licence in their well, back Michael, pocket. Michael, it's a very different thing from a tractor spreading slurry to a car driving around a built-up residential area in a place like Dublin, OK? And so... Uh, but, but, I, but that tractor is allowed to drive on the main road, isn't it? I, I, absolutely. Yes. Well, yes. In my view, um, uh, look, I've worked really hard on the issue of scrambler bikes to try and restrict their use in, 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 res, in residential areas. I would be really slow about allowing... 16-year-olds drive. I think you've a, there's a very valid point around education in school. I think we could we could certainly look at that. But I, I would be worried, for example, how it would even work out in practice. Like, we'd have cars limited 45 kilometres an hour. Does that create a second car market where cars would only be limited to 45 kilometres? How much would they be worth then over time? It just doesn't... The, the practicalities of it are, are, re, are really, really well, stretching well, so along the safety issues. Well, I can, I can see the benefit of it. I have no monopoly on being right on this or any other subject, but it's my opinion. I know that an awful lot of people up and down the length and breadth of the country agree with what I'm saying. I know an awful lot of people don't agree with what I'm saying. Well, I think this is good. Why, You're perfectly why entitled to have a strong opinion on it. But I think that rural Ireland in particular would, would have a more positive effect OK, it mightn't be needed in cities because look at all the other modes of transport and why should a 16-year-old in a city need a car to drive around? It, it would actually be nonsensical. But in rural areas, they could help their parents, their aunties, their uncles, their grandparents. They'd Do they have the maturity useful. for it at 16? I mean, obviously, we put restrictions well, at 17 years of age for a reason. They have the maturity to drive work vehicles. So what? Yeah, I, think, I think it's very, very different, to be honest. I think the work vehicles are, is brilliant. It's what we need in this country, for sure, especially in farming families, etc. But you don't see these people, it's not widespread. You don't see 16-year-olds in any cities going, oh, hang on, I can actually drive a tractor. Let's go get a tractor instead. I can just drive that. It's in very specific It is, and it's a practical situation. And, you know, it's always going to be very, very limited. And it's brilliant, and I welcome it. I really sympathise as well with the idea, and I think Michael has a good idea there, that it would be great to have this extra mobility in rural countryside, etc. We're never going to have enough public transport to cover everybody's needs in that situation. But I think the, the cost is too much. We already, last year we saw the road deaths are up already. And uh, we already struggle with... We already but struggle I, suppose, with I, suppose, I suppose what we should be looking at is if a 17-year-old has the maturity, then what's to say a 16-year-old doesn't have the maturity to drive a car? Well, one that's good. restricted to 45 kilometres an hour. But there are other jurisdictions that do this already, actually. So it's not the first, Europe wouldn't be the first. But the data we have from some of those, from America, for instance, specifically looking at 16... The, the people who are 16, they are one and a half times more likely to crash than those that are 18 or 19. And that's, that's you, as, you know, yes, America is very different to, to here. All, all right, all right, no. Michael Hillary, just yeah. respond to but that I'm specific not going fact to get there. With that because it's not fair to give that impression. It's a fact that here are 15% of an increase from 21 to 22 in our road debts. But where were the road debts? Very sadly, and we have to say when we're talking about debts, we're so sorry for every accident, every victim, every person that has been hurt or maimed or killed in our roads. That's, we have to say that in a debate like this. But you also must say who were at the highest risk on our roads. It wasn't the young people. It was 75 years of age and that age group. And the statistics, statistics okay. are that 27 people, which was 17%, were in that age group. 
You're giving okay, the impression just, here tonight that young people, you're wrong. No, no, I think what you're saying... That isn't actually what I said. That's not actually what we We have an issue. I didn't actually say anything about the young people. Have your facts right. No, I specifically said that we have an issue with road deaths and I didn't point to young people. You're giving the impression that we have an issue with road deaths. There's also the environmental angle as well, you know. OK, and there's also the... Let's just say something very practical, the insurance angle here. Would it be very difficult first of all, to get insurance for 16-year-olds, and who's going to be able to afford a car that has this speed-limiting device of 45 kilometres well, there? That would, very be, that, that would also be a concern for me, because we know in restricted markets, like, for example, motorcycling or taxi drivers, insurance operators have really high, high premiums. Look, we should be, and I accept in rural Ireland, we have very different uh, transport issues. But in, in, in cities particularly, we should be encouraging young people to be on devices like uh, electric, electric bikes and electric scooters. Electric bikes, for example, can go up to 30 kilometres an hour. There's not a whole heap of shift between 30 kilometres an hour and 45 kilometres an hour. What we, what we should be doing is encouraging them to be on e-bikes on e rather than cars at 16. I was far wrong. Well, in the that. city, you can have your e-bikes earlier, like coming out of your ears. But in the countryside, I think a, a young boy or a young girl being able to go on our roads, if it could be afforded in the house, it would be an addition to the countryside and it would help keep people working and living in rural areas, but which is, is what is we want. The idea, though, keep the lights were, on. Are we not trying to move people out of their cars, Michael, rather than moving more people into cars? What? The airy-fairy idea that they're going to transform themselves from point A to point B miraculously? We need the practicalities of a set of wheels underneath us. We are not able to transform ourselves from one place to the other with a press of a button. People like Minister Raymond Ryan might think that we can, but we can't. And we're not able to cycle everywhere in the countryside either. Think about if you were below on Bellis-Gillings tonight and if you want to go to Killarney, you would have a fair pain in your bottom by the time we'd live, arrive back up in Killarney. Um, just looking at, I suppose, some of the groups that have come out against this, Michael, the Road Transport Authority, the European Transport Safety Council has said this is a scary idea. Is that not a voice it's, we should be listening to no, here? No, it's not. Because I'd like to see the RSA doing a thing that I've asked them continuously for the last 10 years and more, and they've never taken it on. And that is the idea of educating our young okay, people. OK, but just stick why, to the why, issue of 16-year-olds yes, driving. They say the why, idea of that is scary. Should you not be heeding them? No, I wouldn't. Because, like I say, if they look at the statistics, their own statistics will say that it's the older age group are dying more predominantly on our roads rather than the young people. And, and remember, we're so sorry that anybody is dying on our roads. But accidents will happen, and that is a fact. Okay. We can't wrap people up in cotton wool, unfortunately. I just want to move on to a report today, Shane, um, from Professor Brian Colford looking at uh, SUVs. And essentially what he said was, for every carbon emission saving that we gain from somebody buying an EV... We're wiping it out because of the number of people buying SUVs. Is it time to try and get SUVs off the road? I've seen the report, and I think it's an interesting point, but I just feel that the approach is wrong. The targeting is of the SUV, um, whereas now the SUV is everything from you can have small city cars that are supposedly look a bit like SUVs up to full-on work vehicles that are 4x4s. And, and that SUV is everything in between. So I think we need to do something, but I don't think we should be targeting a body type or a style of car. We should be maybe looking at the weight. Um, well, he's, saying that, are... he's saying that these SUVs are 20% on average more polluting than a regular car. So that's why they're specifically being targeted. But that, that's, that's a, that remark, I'd love to see where that data is coming from because you, have, you can have a very small city SUV, which is no more polluting than, say, I'll, I'll give an example, a Toyota Yaris Cross, it's called, which is a very small SUV. That's no more polluting than a Volkswagen Golf, for instance. 
So it, could it, it depend it, on the engine size, that type of thing? Yeah, but and the, size, the physical at? size of the car. But also, I mean, again, we're talking about EVs. Most EVs on sale today are SUVs. So it's a, it's a very fine balance there. So targeting a body type, I don't feel, is the right way to go. But, but, but I suppose I just want to bring to you in here, Paul, because it's clear in the report he says, look, we're not going to hit our targets by 2030 as it stands. We need something more radical. And we're not going to get there in terms of public transport and we're not going to get there in terms of EV sales. You're going to have to do something with the current car market. What's your position? Well, look, we've seen huge increases in, in EVs in, in the market. And I think the availability of a second-hand market for EVs will be, will, be, will be a real game changer. Like, there's a lot of people out there that want to... We, the objective here should be to reduce carbon not reduce cars. And I think to tra transfer over to e-vehicles is, is a very positive measure. But I he's saying it's not enough. It's not happening fast enough. No, and, and, and that's... That there's something that we could be doing and all the gains that we're getting, yeah. I suppose, through EV sales are being, I suppose, cancelled by the sales. But, and that's why EVs. sometimes... Is that just really that, an uncomfortable that, that's thing? That's why sometimes moment. I get really angry with the way we pitch cyclists against motors, against bus drivers, because actually we should be all switching between, between different modes and using the most efficient form of transport. The big issue I would have, Kira, is, is that there's many people who have more than two or three children and they need to get a larger car for the trips that they need to make. And in those cases, an SUV-type okay. vehicle is the only safe way, given the legal restrictions in terms of all right. uh, safety belts and so uh, on. Michael Healy, Ray, Is Paul and Shane, thank you so much for coming in to us. That's it from the Tonight Show. Back tomorrow night. See you then. Good night.